I'm out of classic ideas again. Okay. I, we've tried different languages. You tried like tried three different times. Accents. How hard did I, you I, really I, try? Did you try I, Polish? No, you didn't try Polish. Right? No. Did you try Icelandic? No, you did not try Icelandic. See, I we did try. No, Icelandic, I don't think actually. you did. No, see, no? you didn't even try that hard. What about Mayan? Well, Ancient Mayan. <laughs> well, get your Google going and you do it. <laughs> Done. <laughs> okay, so this one, this was a fun one. On a couple of levels. And this was the episode where we talked about how to, or if you should, try to sell your hops at beer festivals. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> and and this w- this might have been the first one that we dubbed rant. I don't think we had categorization going yet, but this may have been the first. Oh, no, that's not true. A couple of weeks ago, we, we did a, a beer styles one about the IPA business. But this was fun as we dove into all the beer festival stuff. Well, that and it was a lot of reminiscing. Mm-hmm. I just I think back to that first time. This is even before we had a booth at a beer festival. The first time that we went to a beer festival, we had our T-shirts. So you weren't there, but it was the the local crew, and you know, like business cards and stickers and swag and all kinds of stuff like that. We were just wandering around, and we just, wow, we thought we were big shit. Oh, I'm oh, sure. it's embarrassing now. <laughs> so embarrassing. I found that original T-shirt up in my closet. Is that the one with the triangle? No, this was way before that. I made these. Before that? Yes, I made these myself. Um, Back when our our whole investment kitty was $500. And, uh, yeah. And that would have been before the time, you know, you say you made them yourself, but this would have been before the time of, like, having a cricket with iron-on capacity and all that, like, decent at-home stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, we looked proper janky. And was it like felt and fabric glue and <laughs> yeah. kind of shit? Macaroni and sparkles. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It's exactly what it was. Oh uh, but I think back to those times and like, oh, my God. But you know what? Again, nothing's changed. Nothing's mm-hmm. changed. I went to, when was the last beer? Last summer, I went to a beer festival for the first time in a few years. And I still saw those same kinds of people wandering around. Oh, I'm sure. And, you know, they weren't necessarily all about hops, but they're the same thing. I'm like, I remember those days. You know, it's like, good luck, pal. I hope I hope you enjoy a thankless life of blood, sweat, and tears. Oh, well, there's one other part of this episode I have to call out. We we start the episode doing our first ever listener mail. Mm. Who do you? Well, let's see if you remember. Do you remember who our first listener mail? This was pre Discord and pre Hopnologist and, and was it Captain Tim Patreon Captain Tim? It was not Captain Tim. Was it? Tibor from Croatia or whoever? I don't remember. <laughs> oh, no, no. That was um, Ernesto. Oh, oh, where was no. he from? Where is he? Yeah, I don't remember. It was Ernesto. Where was he from? Liberia? I don't, I don't remember. remember. I, I have to look that up. No. No, our first question ever came from Mark at Mountain View Hops. Oh, geez. Mm-hmm. God, they can't get rid of that guy. <laughs> I know, right? And it was... <laughs> And it was all about um, it, it. It was it was actually a great question and about um, nitrogen, addition of nitrogen, oh, sure. and, and all these different things. But it's the very first thing you'll hear shortly in the episode, and it was it's so funny because he is probably one of our, if not the longest standing hopnologist in the crew. Yeah. Could be. So I actually texted him yesterday as I was re-listening to this. I'm like, Mark, you'll never guess. <laughs> <laughs> where was Mark? One guess where Mark was. Where what? What do you mean? Where was he? 
when I texted him, he was sitting at a brewery with his well, dad duh. on Friday yeah. afternoon. God, God bless. Well, he's That's probably trying to be. sell beer bottle candles or something. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'll, hey, business and pleasure I'll at the same time. Motive, Mark. <laughs> mm-hmm. Was was that meant to be like an, a, a pun on all an all tier? Yeah, all tier. Yeah, all tiernative. Yeah. I think I think there's a marketing idea for that mm-hmm. in for him. Wow, I'm thirsty. I wish there was a beer festival to go to. Well, geez, it's like the middle of summer. You're, you should be tripping over them by now. Yeah, I, I, I am, and I know you are too. Yeah. They're fun to get a drink, but suppose you want to sell something there. God, why would you? Do, like what? Well, first, maybe. Not hops. Your liver. You're, you well, nobody's going to want it when you're done with it. <laughs> You'd have to be the sober one to try to show up and sell your liver to all the drunk idiots there. <laughs> That's true. Uh, yeah, that yeah for the for hop growers, for the love of God, do not go to a beer festival with samples in hand, thinking that you're going to make a big sale because you're wasting your time and you're going to annoy people. <laughs> so speaking of annoying people. <laughs> yes so obviously this conversation today is about beer festivals and what to expect out of them and really that's what it is is expectation and making sure you're doing it for the right reasons but before we get into that we have some viewer mail or viewer listener mail. mail listener mail listener mail listener so, mail i gotta find a jingle for listener yes mail. yes okay. we need a theme song that doesn't involve you singing please all right all for right love of god so, as you all know, we take comments on the website. We'll take comments on the Instagram. So, I'm going to butcher your name, Mark. Mark Clabaugh at Mountain View Hops. So, I'm going to read this question, James, and please interrupt me when you think you know the answer. We have been trialing several crowns of Glacier for four years now, and we've been noticing that 80 to 90% of the cones have leaves coming out of them. Too much nitrogen. Okay. And so, here's the rest of the comments. <laughs> This has not been an issue with our other 25 varieties. We've tried adjusting our nitrogen type. They've gone granular versus soluble. They've changed the source, ammonium sulfate versus urea. And they've changed their application rates, 150 versus 300 pounds per acre, and their timing. And nothing's changed. So he's wondering, could this actually be a phenotype situation? And what what are our thoughts on okay, this? Okay, dial, dial that back. What was the rate? Uh, 150 to 300 pounds per acre. Holy balls, 300 pounds per acre? That's what that's what I'm reading. Unless it's a typo, right? Mark, is it Mark? It's Mark. Yes, Mark, brother, dial it back. <laughs> that's way too much. Even 150 is probably at the upper range for that variety. Uh, dial her back, brother. I mean, unless you're growing on pure beach sand, which I hope you're not. That's way too much. It made so. There's three things here. So I think he hit on all three: timing, type, and rate. What I would advise. Number one, dial it back. So you want to be back in that 150 range or maybe even less for that. Number two is timing. So you could be putting that nitrogen on much, much too late. The bulk of that, let's say 150 pounds, should be on before burr stage. If those plants are flowering and it's just starting to flower and you still have half to two-thirds of your nitrogen to put on, you blew your window. Uh, you want to get all of that nitro, not all of it, but the vast majority, 75% on before burr stage and only give it a little bit of a spurt of nitrogen once those burrs set into cones. So my guess is that 
you got too much, certainly up towards that 300 range, draw it back, take a look at your timing, and then the type of fertilizer is really important. So you mentioned that, ammonium sulfate, was it? Um, let's see here. It was, um, yes, ammonium sulfate and or urea. Okay, all right. So ammonium sulfate or urea. Those two have different rates of uptake. Uh, urea is slow nitrogen, so it's going to take a long time. And by long time, it could be two to three weeks before it's actually transformed into usable nitrogen. And ammonium sulfate is going to be a little bit faster than that. Keep that in mind when you're applying it. If you wanted straight shot, like ready to be uptaken immediately, uh, that would be a, a nitrate. But the other thing to remember with urea is you're likely using it in pellets. And you can't just surface spread that. Those have to be incorporated because you're going to lose a lot of nitrogen from volatilization. It turns into ammonia and flashes off. So if you're going to use actual urea pellets, you're going to need to get those incorporated into the soil. Some folks, I always used urea ammonium nitrate uh, liquid, 28%. And, you know, being liquid, it goes into the soil. It doesn't, it doesn't volatilize. But it's got all three types of nitrogen. Nitrate, fast, ammonium, medium, and urea slow. Granted, if you're not in heavy corn country you, or, or bean country, you may not have it readily available. But we call it 28% and uh, works fantastically. So that's what I would steer you towards is drop your rate back, get your nitrogen, three quarters of your nitrogen on between uh, training and or burr stage. Try to stick more towards the ammonium sulfate or that 28% urea ammonium nitrate and just leave the straight urea alone. I think leave the urea alone might be a, a good name for this episode. Leave the urea alone. Yeah. <laughs> no. So, Mark, I hope that helps. And I'm Googling Mountain View hops here. If this is the right Mountain View hops, they are in Virginia. And uh, if you're in Virginia and you need some hops, reach out to Mark. Free plug, Mark. See, it pays to ask us questions. It does. Absolutely. It does. They also do, uh, they do hops and they use the hops in things like soap and ornaments and hop pillows. So this, Ooh, this nice. is an interest, th this could, is an interesting kind of side market from, you know, the typical hops and beer situation. So Mark, we'd love to hear more from you. It sounds like you've got an interesting thing going on there. Yep. Thanks for the question. Yes. Thank you. So beer festivals. Ugh. <laughs> Who says that? A beer lovers and a beer lover goes, "Ugh, God." It used to be okay. So a preface for this: the reason we're recording this today is because here in Madison is today is the Great Taste in the Midwest Beer Festival, and if anybody's not aware of this, it's probably I still think it's the second largest uh, beer festival in the country behind you know the big one in Denver, but this is like drunken hipster Christmas around here. People just line up tickets go on sale in may the first saturday of may or sunday rather and people line up and they camp out overnight outside of the locations to get tickets this is a big freaking deal and i think it's six or seven thousand tickets they sell it's five full like size circus tents and it's hundreds of brewers from across the midwest come to this thing so it's absolutely ridiculous off the hook and Drunken Hipster Christmas just beat out the whole urea thing for the title, <laughs> by the way. Right, it is. It's very. It's a whole lot of mid-30s bearded men with 
plaid. Uh, anyway, so it is it is a beer fest uh, to beat almost all beer fests and not for the amateurs. Uh, but having said that, we as Gorse Valley Hops went to this beer festival for over a decade as a vendor, not serving beer. They, you know, like vendor tent, right? Where you could, people are showing up there. They're like, you know, selling mugs and t-shirts and just beer shit. And, uh, and so we set up there because people sort of expected us to be there because we were in the beer business and our booth was insanely popular, but we got very little out of it. Very little. I I think over 10 years, if I made, I don't think over 10 years and being exposed to all those brewers, we ever made a long-term sale to a brewer for being there. We, we already knew the brewers who we were going to be seeing there anyway, so it was kind of a, uh, hey, how you doing? Sorry, I'm busy right now. If they're even there. Mm. I mean, th- think about it. So, like, there are smaller beer festivals. Of course, in Wisconsin, it means we have a beer festival every weekend, but like these big ones these brewers are coming from states away and they're driving for hours overnight you know red-eyeing it and they get there immediately they have to set up which takes them two three hours to set up in the meantime if you're there as a vendor you're like hey i get in early it takes me 20 minutes to set my place up i'm going to go around and pester all these people and hand out business cards they are usually in no mood (laughs) <laughs> uh, to, to, to talk with you at that point. And even if they are, they're going to take that card, they're going to stick it in their pocket, they're going to forget about it. Because the the exchange, you know, your personal exchange with them is not very meaningful. At, at best, it's not meaningful. At worst, it's intrusive. Correct. Oh, yeah, I like that word, intrusive. That's exactly what it is. There in our later years, to your point, we knew most of the brewers that, you know, we wanted to talk to, and we weren't going to wait for a beer fest to do it, but people just sort of expected us to be there. So it became more of like a little friendly reunion at that point, but because we weren't trying to sell them, it was just the fact that they kept seeing us there and we were friendly with them. It's sort of the long game. So we weren't there, hey, buy my hops, here's some samples. It was a long game. So, hey, yeah, remember me? We were at, I helped you set up your booth last year. Oh, yeah, they, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, that's, I think better marketing than trying to actually sell them something at a beer festival. And really you can probably do that by showing up in branded gear as a attendee without paying to have a booth. You can walk around and be helpful and all that. Although I guess you need to be in early if you're wanted to um, help set up and, and be more of a pair of hands. Yeah. And there's usually, there's usually volunteer groups, uh, like the great taste you can you can be a volunteer you can get in early you're going to help set up you're going to be schlepping ice around you're going to be you know doing all that kind of stuff and if you're there as a vendor like you're going to have a little booth and you're going to sell swag which we can talk about in a minute but the idea of just being there and helping is is something that you can't pay for that kind of marketing think about it like that instead of trying to sell somebody something or, hey, I'm going to network. This is not a networking event. <laughs> no, they, they do not want to talk to you. If, and you mentioned before, if the brewer is even there, this, when everyone is out dealing with a beer festival, especially if it's one in your backyard, your tap room is probably a little quieter than usual. It's a good day to get some work done. Yep, it's that. And for Wisconsin, 
there could there very well any given weekend in the summer be at least two if not more beer festivals going on somewhere uh in the wisconsin iowa michigan minnesota illinois corridor so that means you've got to split your team up and who's going to go do what now let's think about this right brewers and like the certainly the head brewers that are the ones that make the call and ultimately the ones you want to get in front of they're busting their ass all week all week and what do they what do they get to do on their quote weekend off they got to go to a beer festival yeah poor beer for drunk people right so just keep that in mind i mean you bust your ass all week and all you want is a day off and then you got to go and do more stuff for whatever it is that industry you happen to be in but now you're going to come and be pestered by people who are really drunk and you're not drunk yourself so wow that gets really annoying mm-hmm. and you know the other thing from a, a vendor perspective i know that i was uh, i went to a beer festival out here by me in the early days of gorse valley hops and i had my my gear on and my business card so i was not a vendor but i was hoping to make some contacts and this was one of these national chain beer festivals i'd say three quarters of the quote-unquote vendors there were hired guns wearing a t-shirt from that brewery with maybe kegs but more often cases where they were opening cans and pouring them into cups the the the, especially the large national brands were just hiring someone to pour beer for them there was no one there representing the company so that was a swing and a miss entirely for us yep i see that we those are around here pretty frowned upon they Mm -hmm. tried it i think it was like Beer USA or something. Yeah, this one might have been Beer America. Beer America, or like that's that. what it was. They did it once and it flopped. Well, you have uh, such a density of of breweries more yeah. so than I have. Yeah, well, sure, but it's just it was just <laughs> I felt a little little giggly because I'm like, ha ha. Uh, <laughs> oh, why why would people pay to come to that kind of beer fest for national and regional packaged beer when they can go to a beer fest with local brewers and. You know, I just made no sense. I was just thinking, who in the hell on that marketing team said, you know where we got to go with our national brands? We got to go to one of the hotbeds of indie beer. What? What? (laughs) And and send no one representing our our brand. Yeah, how does that make sense? Yeah. Anyway. Nope. Uh It does not. (laughs) (laughs) So, from... From our perspective, I'd love to describe our booth to people. I, I went to the Great Taste once, mm-hmm. and even from that one visit, I, I had fun stories. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man, the stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's... I, so I we set be... up a booth. We had, you know, it was a tent and tables. We had different varieties of hops sitting in cups so that folks could smell them. Usually, if I recall correctly, we were using dried flowers. We weren't using pellets, or maybe we'd show both. Yeah, we would have both, but but people, you know, didn't know what the pellets were. They wanted to see the hop cones, and we would even that morning, uh, we would go out and chop down some vines that had flowers on them and haul them in and and put them in you know jugs of water and wrap them up the of the guy the, lines, yeah, yeah, the guy lines for the tent. And, you know, people pluck them off all day or they rip off sidearms and put them in their hair. And it's just fun. 
but uh, yeah, we'd have the multiple varieties sitting out there. Um, we, we would have a little bit of blurb about each variety, what it's like, you know, what it's used in, just sort of informational kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I will never forget. I think it was still in the early admission stage. So maybe they let people in an hour early for paying a little more. Right. We still hadn't had regular admission in and some extremely, extremely drunk young man slash teenager walks up, stumbles over. I'll have whatever you're pouring. And I said, yeah, we, we don't have any beer here. This We sell hops. Uh, okay, I'll have some. Right. No, no, you don't understand. This is not a drink or an edible. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is, this, we, we have nothing for you to drink here. And he just, he wouldn't let up. It took a couple of minutes until he finally got frustrated and wandered off. Right. Um, so we were not what they expected. Totally not <laughs> uncommon. We, in the later years, we would make uh, hop tea. And so we'd have a couple of different varieties. We'd make teas out of them, cold, cold, steep teas and have them there. And the, you'd get those people like, oh, I'm going to have some of these, man. And you know, it's like, what do you got? And we'd make up some stupid name of a beer and we'd pour it out of this little thermos that Christine had. And they just, no, they didn't even think twice because they were so shit faced. And we'd hand it to them and they'd be like, Oh my God, this is so hoppy. This is the best IPA, blah, blah, blah. We're just like, (laughs) just, just at that point, just messing with them and, uh, and really getting them riled up. Uh, but yes, the, the, you you cannot underestimate how annoying very drunk people can be until you're at a beer festival. Oh, sure. And certainly if you do anything outside of pure hops and I'm, I'm going to, mention our our new best friends at Mountain View Hops in Virginia. Um, If you're doing soap and other things like that, it's an opportunity to sell a little bit Yep, and get some stuff out there. Mark, you, we'll send you a bill when this podcast is done. You got it. You're your first paid advertiser. You didn't even realize it. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about swag because swag has a, certainly has a place and you, you know, breweries have swag all over and you'll see at beer festivals. If you're not really a frequent goer of them, you know, people are handing out all kinds of free stuff and it's usually stickers or coasters or, um, sometimes they'll have pins that you can wear, uh, stuff that you buy in the 500 quantity. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's what people are are looking for. And then even the breweries, they'll have like t-shirts and stuff for sale, which is the goal. And if you haven't looked into this already, and you're trying to get your name out there and trying to figure out what to sell, let, let us give you a little bit of a background on swag and what sells and what works great at beer festivals. So the yeah. number one thing that we sold the most of at any beer festival were T-shirts. T-shirts are also some of the best profit margin you can get on swag. The issue with T-shirts is that not only do you have to have multiple sizes available, but you also the best sales we made were our women's cuts and because women also like beer very much and unfortunately most breweries and beer swag is just made in a men's cut so we had i'd say we sold probably two to one uh, at beer festivals t-shirt wise to to women i think because we had women's cuts and women's tanks and all that kind of stuff and is that drunk men buying it for their girlfriends? No, no, not really? at all. Okay. Nope, nope, it was women. Usually if they found us and they thought it was really cool or whatever, then they'd go and find their drunk 
significant other or friend or whatever and drag him over and then he would buy stuff. Um, you'd get women buying the women's cut t-shirts and then you'd get men buying usually hats. Not all, I mean, not like by a large margin over t-shirts, but certainly they would be buying hats. The issue with like an embroidered cap, they're wicked expensive. Mm-hmm. I mean, you look at them like you're going to go buy one from a brewery or whomever and you're like, you want how much for this? $18? Holy balls. It's like, yeah, but if you buy them by the hundred, they're still like $9 a piece. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you got a lot of money wrapped up in hats and people like, oh, I don't wear t-shirts. I'm more of a cap guy. Well, that's fine. And, you know, we always had both. We'd have caps, embroidered caps in a couple of different colors and then t-shirts in a couple of colors and and men's and, and women's sizes. I would say by far the profit margin wise, the, the t-shirts are the way to go. And, and how, you know, so to your point, they're expensive. You're carrying inventory. You're having to lug them around to places. Mm-hmm. How much of that inventory of t-shirts and hats ended up being used for things like this where there was actually profit to be made and how much of it was a, you know, when you're not at a beer festival, cold call at a brewery, you're trying to drum up some business, drop off something? Good question. In that case, I would always go with hats because you never know what somebody's t-shirt size is. Yep. And unless you're Dan Detmers, who has a gigantic melon-sized head, most people can wear regular hats. <laughs> so I would just, I would, I would have half a dozen caps in my car at all times and then if we got a new brewer on that bought a significant volume or contracted with us i'd always every time we had a shipment to them i'd throw some swag in there of some sort uh and they really like that the one thing brewers really like to do and moreover more than getting caps and all that kind of stuff is i'd start throwing in bags of those mini candy bars (laughs) and people would just rave about it they're like, oh, man, I love it when your hops show up. There's always candy in them. <laughs> <laughs> and yet you're not a fan of candy and beer for some reason. I know, exactly. Keep the candy in the hops bag where it belongs. Okay, so we've got, we've got the obligatory trend message and the obligatory Dan reference, so I think we're good. Check and check. Yep. I don't know if that helps folks from a... I mean, that's not the only kind of swag that there is because we still wanted stuff to give away. So for years, I would print my own stickers because I'm, as Dan, another Dan reference will tell you, I am a tight wad. You know, you can have stickers printed relatively cheaply. Mm -hmm. One thing that was really popular were printed magnets. So we got those one year. It said Gorse Valley Hops, uh, farmers with or drinkers with a farming problem. Man, those things want people love those things. And I have sev- I have several on my fridge. They're cheap. I got like a thousand of them for like forty five dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are good giveaways. Uh, yep, a bottle openers. Bottle openers. You got it. You know, you start looking online for all these things. Um, there was a site I used called DiscountMugs.com. Uh, they're not a sponsor yet discount mugs if anyone's listening they have a really good array and for reasonable prices but frankly you'd start looking at all these things vista print or imprint for less or all these things they're all the same stuff really what it comes down to i don't know that quality is going to be any better at any one of these places but customer service is a big deal if you want a sure thing stay away from like you know bobprintsshit.com or (laughs) uh anything like that just, you just killed off another potential sponsor. I know. Sorry, Bob. Oh, man. I've been work. working Bob hard, too. <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, there's our bumper right there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. So, yes, I think the swag thing is great, of course, you know, from our past at Gorse Valley Hops. I don't know about you, but I got a closet full of this stuff. Well, the stuff that I have that's left is destroyed because I wore it on the farm and I did all sure. this kind of stuff. But I'm not one of the I'm not one of those preppy business guys like you where, you know, I never have to get dirty. I actually had to, you know, everything I own, everything that I have that says Gorse Valley Hop smells like diesel fuel now. Oh, see, I, I still have 30-year-old fraternity t-shirts that I wear for yard work because I mm. don't do all that much yard work. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've lasted all this time. But yeah, the swag is fun. The, 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 you know, it's great for sales. So I think that leads into a bigger question, which is, I guess, not even so much a beer festival question, which is, what are you trying to do from a consumer perspective? Why should these consumers wear stuff that has your name on it? Yeah, good question. You know, I've walked away from beer festivals with, uh, you know, those those fabric shopping bags. And, and those are great because you can use them anywhere. Like you said, magnets, all kinds of stuff. But what is the taste you're trying to leave in a consumer's mouth? And we've talked before about the fact that do you want to go down the path of branding your hops with your name to the point where you got consumers saying, ooh, there's ABC Hop farms hops in this particular beer at this brewery i want to have their stuff because i know these guys Mm -hmm. it's the intel inside thing it is and we tried that for decades long time Mm -hmm. yeah never it never really grabbed no because people weren't so much interested in the brand name or aroma smart even though it is superior as we will talk later uh, they were interested in the name of the hop, not who grew it. For instance, well, the trend of, of putting the names of hops on beer or, you know, on tap, say, hey, made with Mosaic and Simcoe or whatever. People would seek it out. Our, the One of the couple of varieties that we had that were ours, Skyrocket, when brewers started using it and started putting, advertising their beer as made with Skyrocket, that was something. I mean, there was a there's a brewery called uh, Lone Girl here at just north of Madison, and they made they made this uh, double IPA called Ham the Astro Chimp, and it was made with Skyrocket and what was it? I don't remember another an, another fragrant but not obnoxious hop, and they couldn't keep it on tap, mm-hmm. and then he's like, all right, they stopped making that. And he's like, oh, I've got some of the Skyrocket left. So he, he made another beer with it. I think it was a pale ale. And, you know, it's like made with Skyrocket. He's like, I couldn't keep that on tap because people are like, oh, that was the hop that was in Ham the Astro Champ. Yep, it, hap- it happened out here too. We, we got some of that in the hands of Broadbrook Brewing, which is out by, by, by Hartford, Connecticut, by the airport. And they made um, their promiscuous IPA. And same thing, they marketed it as having Skyrocket, and folks who are looking for hop varieties and see something they haven't heard of before mm-hmm. are, are all over it. I went into their tap room, because they're not that close to me, and I sat there for t- two or three hours. Every other person who walked in with a growler was having it filled with promiscuous. Mm-hmm. It was, and part of it was, hey, this is the new thing, but they, they had a hit. And it's not so much a comment on the quality of the of the variety as it is the the what's new concept so i I do agree with you that the name of the hop 
carries more weight than the name of the farm. If you're trying to sell swag, I think we learned a big lesson in terms of putting funny catchphrases on there. Oh, yeah, totally. Absolutely. So we had our first tagline was, the proof is in the pint. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that was that has some integrity to it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not exciting and catchy, but it does, it, it says something about us. Right. And then the second one was, yeah, drinkers with a farming problem. Yep, that worked. <laughs> yep. And then our last one was, we science the shit out of beer. Yep. And that one worked really well. Mm-hmm. And because it was a little bit vulgar, a little bit cocky, a little bit, and it got people's attention. Um, so think about that. It's not just necessarily your logo or whatever. It's it's another, you know, goofy saying. Or even to the point, the saying or the picture or whatever is the point of the T-shirt, and it just happens to have your logo on it somewhere. Yep. And, you know, something to keep in mind, because you're right, the, the science, the shit out of the out of beer, it worked incredibly well. I'm sure you recall I was not a fan. Oh, I know. Um, <laughs> and, and I don't know. Part of it was just, um, and I am no stranger to profanity, as listeners know, but I just had an issue with, with stepping over that line because I am a, uh, you said it earlier, I'm, I'm a corporate guy. I spend mm-hmm. my day in a corporate setting, and that's just not the way you talk, which is different than the industry we're talking about here. It's, right. it's just a different world. But at the same time, if you get online and you read up on, on beer naming, there's been some pretty decent backlash from groups about beers with sexually suggestive and borderline derogatory stuff in their names yeah. that you, you need to you need to decide who you want to present yourself as. Yeah, with stuff I agree like that. with you. I agree. But I also think that you got to have a little bit of zip, zip fun behind it to stand out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, you know, the proof is in the pint. I like that. But it's... It's not buzzy enough. It's not, and I think in retrospect, I was, I was wrong in my objections there. Um, but it just, you've you've got to be willing to put yourself out there in a certain way for that to work. I do think in this industry, fundamentally, that's a very acceptable way to go out there, and it's fun. And to your point, it's sold like crazy, and it it would be popular with getting back to the where this all started, yeah. it would be popular with the consumers. A consumer, especially a half-drunk one, walking up to the tent, seeing a, a logo with a hop cone in it saying we science the shit out of beer, especially if they're a college student and a science major, mm-hmm. is going to go, how many of those can I fit in the day pack here <laughs> with all of my pint glasses? And, and every person who's wearing your your logo is certainly, from a, if they're buying it at a beer festival, they're going to wear that. It's one of their beer t-shirts. They're going to wear that to another beer event and they're going to be in front of brewers and brewers are going to see that. And whether it's subconscious or not, they're going to say Gorse Valley hops. We science the shit out of beer. That's awesome. Yep. And Who there's nothing, people? there's nothing better than free advertising. Just ask Mark at Mountain View hops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I don't, I'm not so sure I'm comfortable with the free part of that. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. I'll add, I'll add that to the bill. I don't know. What else do we talk about, about, beer festivals hmm. well there's i mean there's logistical we talked a little bit about about what you have on display but you know you need you need a certain number of bodies there because guess yeah. what some of your employees slash friends are going to want to go drink during this event dan, <laughs> dan. <laughs> oh, man maybe dan should pay 
Do we do we have to pay Dan for using his name as opposed to getting you know advertising dollars out of him? No, he should pay us just for the mental anguish and emotional damage that he's done to us over the years. Yeah, but given uh, all the stories, he's never running for public office. I mean, this is all on the record now. Oh, that's true. Anywho, yes, you need you need to think logistics, and we've talked about this with Harvest and just planning ahead. You need to be very, you know, realistic about how many bodies you need because everyone, you included, are going to want to walk around and have a drink or two. That's that's part of the fun. I like to do. See, we would have. I'd like to have two people at our booth, um, but not everyone would adhere to that rule. But, uh, you know, well, but usually we would have someone there, too, that wasn't a big drinker or what. And they just wanted to sit there in the shade and interact with people. Christine was really good at that. When it comes to setting up, you want to get in. You want to get things set up. You want to, in the later years, certainly with our brewer friends showing up, they needed help setting up. And it wasn't about paying it, you know, expecting to get paid back to going to help them. We would just want to help them because they're our friends. So we would do that. So I would say we would have... If we really wanted to do a full court press and, and have Gorse Valley really present, we'd have five people in full Gorse Valley swag, working the tent, standing out in front of the booth, interacting with people, and then, you know, schmoozing, going around and, and basically taking turns. Uh, hell, sometimes we'd even end up behind brewers, you know, uh, jockey boxes, pouring beers with them. So just because we knew them. Nice. So, so that was that was a lot of fun but also goodwill and all that good kind of stuff so i would say for a medium for a small beer festival and by small i mean you know a few hundred people uh maybe a dozen brewers if you're gonna show up you can do that by yourself i mean that's no big deal because somebody's always going to be around to go grab you beer (laughs) or you know even brewers will be like hey you know they'll come walk by and they'll hand you a beer because they know that you're not able to get out I would say if you're if you're going to a festival that's got, you know, more than 30 brewers there, let's say 30 to 50, 30 to 60 brewers that range, you're going to need two people. And then if you get bigger than that, then start thinking about a crew. And, but, of course, you know, we mentioned earlier a tent and tables. You want to have a sign-in sheet of some sort if people want to know more about you, some sort of a distribution list they yep. can write up. And, of course, you know, that was... It's been a while since we've done them, but you know nowadays that may be an iPad with your website on it, mm-hmm. so they can just log right in and and put their email address in, or just a paper and a pen. Uh, I mentioned a tent. You know, you have to stay cool. You you, you want to make sure you're drinking water while you're there. Well, they're usually they usually have tents of some some fashion there set up. So, but if you're a vendor, sometimes they'll make you bring your own pop up tent, so mm-hmm. you have to check in on that. Yeah, bring water and bring food because you will go broke buying food at a beer festival <laughs> that is true um unless it's bacon on a stick and then i need as much of it as i can possibly get wow yeah water and food have a nice banner or signage uh pictures all that kind of stuff to really decorate up the place because you don't want to be sitting there with just a folding folding table and a folding chair and a couple of pint glasses full of hop flowers because you look like an idiot put your best foot forward and and look at least semi-pro and have have a good looking booth and it's i mean it's a business thing but um as we said at the beginning be very realistic about what you're there for it, it really i'd say 90 percent of it is just awareness of your name mm-hmm. um as you said you you are probably not going to meet your next big contract there you may reinforce with someone you've met before who you are 
But be, be realistic. If you think that the couple of hundred bucks you pour into this in terms of the day you're spending and whatever signage you have made or, or swag, if you think you're going to make that back in spades, eh, this is the long game. Yeah, we would have, I would say we were 50-50 in terms of profitability from selling stuff while we were there, not selling hops, but swag. Uh, and because you've got vendor fee, they usually, you know, it's 50 50 bucks to get the booth and then they know you're going to be in there consuming so they want to make a little on that bring oh the other stuff if you're going to do this whether it's an indoor or an outdoor event or a trade show or wherever you're going you want to build yourself a trade show or beer show box and and it was like a rubbermaid tote that i had and inside of it it was like duct tape and scissors and string and a flashlight and markers and pins and uh, extension cords. Yes, extension cords mm-hmm. and power strip and screwdrivers and that kind of stuff. Do not use it for anything else because you want to be able to take that, grab it and go and know that everything in it is there that you need. Uh, when I started doing that, Everything went super smooth, and people were like, hey, do you have any? I'm like, as a matter of fact, I do. <laughs> uh, and you, you're the go-to guy at that point. And, yep. then I, and then I had one. I had a separate one for printed literature. So we had all kinds of literature printed up. Um, we had one of each of our varieties and had all kinds of brewing information on it and ways to use it, stuff about our farm, stuff about our consulting services and testing services as a flyer for each one of those. And so I kept them in this. We had we bought this collapsible sort of literature rack that fit in its own zip-up bag, and uh, that was really nice. We used we got quite a bit of use out of that. So yeah, that sounds like everything you would need. I would love to hear from some of our listeners who've who've done these festivals, and you know we're talking specifically about beer festivals. But if you're a farmer that does more than just hops. And there are other types of events you are going to, and hops are a component of that. You may have a different perspective on all of this. I mean, here, here you're showing up as sort of an ancillary thing. Every everyone visiting this beer festival, from a consumer perspective, is there to drink beer. You are are probably going to be passed by by nine out of ten, unless you've got something flashy like the cool profanity laden T-shirt or something mm-hmm. like that. But we would love to hear from those of you who's been who've been to some of these things and tell us about, you know, successes and failures, why you'll never do it again, or why you're a, a staple attendee at this, that, or the other thing. This is like drunken hipster Christmas. <laughs> <laughs>